forever. Dog. This week on the podcast, Grady Hendrix's The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Welcome to Teen Creeps, the podcast that discusses YA pulp fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Katai. I'm another one of your hosts, Kelly Nugent. And we are talking about the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. Not technically YA. No, but we had to. But it's Grady. So It's Grady. It's Grady. I'm on a first name basis with him, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> And it's I mean, it's kind of, it's like not a sequel technically, but it is like a spiritual sister. Yes, exactly. A spiritual sister to my best friend's exorcism. Yes. Which he kind of says in the intro. Yeah. Dude, his intro is really good. Um, it is. It, I mean, the book is very good. Yes. <laughs> but it's very good. <laughs> the book is very, very good. Um, God, you know a book is good when, like, the moments that are intended to frustrate you make you want to throw everything in your house. I was so angry. I was like, so angry. The anger and the futility and the feeling of being trapped is so well captured by this book. I wanted to murder all of yes. the husbands. The husbands needed to perish under my louboutins i don't own any no. but i will get some I, because that is the most appropriate way to murder them it, it was, I was they are more evil than james harris oh absolutely for sure and They're i feel like fucking worse it was i mean and and grady kind of mentions this in the uh in the prologue where he's kind of like uh, or in the forward i mean um when he's like, uh, so I wanted to write about like basically the struggle between a woman who has the most limitations, uh, verse and pit her against a man who is literally tethered to nothing and mm -hmm. has no ties. And what an unfair fight that is. And I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. This book I is like, good. I liked his explanation. Um, in the beginning, like uh, there's an author's note in the beginning, and we've already called it a um, an intro and a foreword, and it's all of those things. Yeah, but he says that in my best friend's exorcism, the the parents are terrible and not believing them because that's how it seems when you're a teenager, and how he wanted to write a book respecting the parents um, of the time. Like it says. Uh, but there's another version of that story told from the parent's point of view about how helpless you feel when your kid is in danger. I wanted to write a story about those parents. And so the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires was born. It's not a sequel to My Best Friend's Exorcism, but it takes place in the same neighborhood a few years later where I grew up. When I was a kid, I didn't take my mom seriously. She was a housewife who was in a book club and she and her friends were always running errands and driving carpool and forcing us to follow rules that didn't make sense. They just seemed like a bunch of lightweights. Today, I realized how many things they were dealing with that I was totally unaware of. They took the hits so we could skate by obliviously because that's the deal. As a parent, you endure your pain so your children don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. And I, I want to read the paragraph that you were talking about just because it's very well written. 
Because vampires are the original serial killers stripped of everything that makes us human, they have no friends, no family, no roots, no children. All they have is hunger. They eat and eat, but they're never full. With this book, I wanted to pit a man freed from all responsibilities, but his appetites against women who's... Wait, hang on. Okay, I understand the grammar of this sentence now. (laughs) All right, take that again. With this book, I wanted to pit a man freed from all responsibilities but his appetites against women whose lives are shaped by their endless responsibilities. I wanted to pit Dracula against my mom. As you'll see, it's not a fair fight. Yeah, dude. Ugh. And in the beginning, when I read that, I was like, oh, cute. Like, Dracula is nothing compared to the mom. But, like, I'm not sure that's what he meant. (laughs) No, no, no. That's not what he meant. No, when I read that, I knew he meant, like. It's not a fair fight. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not a fair fight. Like, it is. uh, It's so unfair. It's This book is so so unfair. unfair. It's, like, it truly is, like, the. and I don't know if it's just that, um, you know, quarantine, everyone's quarantining right now. And so like, you know, I've been cooking a lot more and like baking and, and kind of doing the things that a homemaker would do. And Micah and I were talking about this, like Micah's actually been doing much more of this. Um, and we were like, damn dude, like stay at home. Like, I know that like everyone has always, like, like I've always said being a stay at home parent or a homemaker is a lot of fucking work, but like, it's a lot of work and the responsibilities that you have for everything. And then if you look at like in this book, kind of like the relationship that the main character has with her husband who like he works all the time. He's obviously cheating on Carter. I hate Carter so much. And it, it like literally, I I feel like, you know, obviously I, I feel like I'm just saying something very obvious, but you know, her having to deal with all of this shit, like supernatural and otherwise, and then telling her husband, hey, all this stuff is happening. And he only sees the good side of James because he's being wooed by James. Um, and James is a vampire who lives across the street. Uh, I I feel like when he is just like dismissive of it and is like, he's... Grady, I feel like, is using this, you know, supernatural thing as like a metaphor for like the things that women have to deal with all the time that Mm -hmm. then they try and that their husbands don't even fucking know about because they're at work all the fucking time. Yeah. And he, of course, uh, dismisses it because he only sees the good. It's, ugh. It is, it, ugh, the fucking gaslighting when they are ambushed. Oh my God, that part, I was about to fucking scream. Flipping out. I was flipping out inwardly. There is a scene that is so, it is such a, it's such classic gaslighting that I can't. So I'm going to read the definition of gaslighting or an explanation (laughs) of gaslighting from Wikipedia because people often get it wrong. They think that like just lying equals gaslighting. Much more. So gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or group covertly sows seeds of doubt in a targeted individual making them question their own memory, perception, or judgment, often evoking in them cognitive dissonance and other changes such as low self-esteem. Using denial, misdirection, contradiction, and misinformation, gaslighting involves attempts to destabilize the victim and delegitimize the victim's beliefs. That is so exactly Mm -hmm. what is happening with the husbands against the wives. I was so angry. I was so angry. (laughs) 
it there's so much worse than the vampire no it truly is like here's the thing and i i think this is the the fucked upness of it so mm-hmm. like the vampire is made evil because he has no consequences right mm-hmm. and he so, does he has a hunger yeah like he does need to as uh, the difference in here is that he needs to like basically use humans as a dialysis machine yeah yeah to, like clean his blood yeah um, and i mean and he like the, the 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 vampire is evil kind of in the same way that like evil is evil or that temptation is temptation and that like like these things will always be something like the desire for power like i feel like he represents the desire for power like the desire for power is yeah is he pulling. represents greed yes yeah and it is going to be what and it lust. is right yeah so like i think that's why he doesn't don't hate the player hate the game exactly because <laughs> the vampire is gonna vamp but yes. the 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 people that are evil is like we're seeing these guys that want that which are the dads like all yes. of the the men like they are the beginning of what will eventually become the vampire. Like they are the ones who are like, should know better because technically like they, they should like, you know, they're humans, like, like the women in this story are, but because they have power and they want to keep it, like they don't even entertain the idea of losing power. And I also liked the, the, what this book did with like, then looking at the privilege within the group of women which I really liked. I think it said a lot about like how you should use your privilege for a good thing. And a lot of people don't because they're afraid. Yeah. And then guess what? I really liked how they were being called out on that. Yes. I thought it was really well done. And I also liked that at the end, the uh, Mrs. Green, who is a black character who, you know, she her job is that she uh originally comes in the story as being like a caretaker for miss mary who's um the main character's mother-in-law aging mother-in-law um but she's kind of the one who's like look this vampire preys on children of color um and of course nobody notices it because no one reports on it and i like that she wasn't like thank you for helping me i forgive you because at the end she was still like you fucked up. I don't forgive you. You're not a good person. Bye. Yeah. And I like, it's weird because I liked Grace in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Even though she is, she's selfish, but she's also in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I have to look out for myself. Mm-hmm. But she also doesn't shy away from Mrs. Green calling her out on that. Yeah. Well, because I she's think like, deep yeah, down. I yeah. should not. I fucked up. You're right. And so I I like I like her, even though she like held out the longest, she also, I think, accepted responsibility the most. She for sure did. I, I also like that um Patricia, who's our main character, well, at first, you know, she's kind of she's like, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter that like those kids are, you know, not kids of our race and they're not kids of our class, but we should fight for them. But then at the same time, she's still not perfect because in, not in the end, but like before the time jump, and I guess at the beginning of the time jump in this book, um, she still is like, you know what though? I can't, if, 
if I get rid, or if I truly fight for this, I will lose the life I've built for myself. And I can't do that. Yeah. It doesn't. She, and I, this, this is who I am. And she also f- does find a lot of pride in the life that she has built. Yeah. Yeah. She does. But at the same time, it's like, I, I think Grady does such a good job of doing the thing that we've often criticized other writers of doing uh, poorly. He does something, he does it really well, which is like having us learn things while the character whose lens we're seeing it through is in complete denial or is ignorant of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Because this woman is so entrenched in 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 this Southern you know, woman of class lifestyle. And she's like, so like, even though she likes to think that she's like an independent thinker, she's still pretty, like, she's still pretty bought into it. She still has drunk some of the Kool-Aid for sure. Yeah. But just like her inner monologue, like when she's thinking about, so her youngest son, first of all, (laughs) I was like, (laughs) <laughs> this is classic because I have, you know, I I have some experience with people like this who are like these parents that are just like, I'll just never get my son. And their son is like, do you like knives? Like, yeah, <laughs> that like I'm like, OK, something like when she's like, oh, you know, I'm glad that um, Blue is like starting to be more social. I just wish he'd talk about something other than Nazis in the Third Reich. I was like, yeah. girl, <laughs> you need to talk to your son. Yes. Like, uh, it goes a little bit further. Yes, because there's swastikas everywhere, girl. You need to talk to your son. It's it's fucking crazy. (laughs) And the fact that it, uh, but the, uh, she blames herself. That's why she doesn't do anything about it. She blames it on the fact that he found, but he was already talking about Nazis. I know. I know. Do we ever know Blue's real name? Uh, he's, uh, Carter Jr. Or no, right. that's Pony, right? Or is he Carter Jr.? He is Carter Jr. I think he's Carter Jr. And they call him Blue. Pony is Horse's Kitty's son. son's, yeah, because the husband's nickname is Horse, so they call the son Pony as a joke. Um, the, okay, let me just, uh, read a summary of this really quick. Mm-hmm. And that way we can just be free. Just free ourselves to talk more. (laughs) Okay. Patricia Campbell's life has never felt smaller. Her husband is a workaholic. Her teenage kids have their own lives. Her senile mother-in-law needs constant care. And she's always a step behind on her endless to-do list. The only thing keeping her sane is her book club, a close-knit group of Charleston women united by their love of true crime. At these meetings, they're as likely to talk about the Manson family as they are about their own families. One evening after book club, Patricia is viciously attacked by an elderly neighbor, bringing the neighbor's handsome nephew, James Harris, into her life. James is well-traveled and well-read, and he makes Patricia feel things she hasn't felt in years. But when the children on the other side of town go missing, their deaths written off by local police, Patricia has reason to believe James Harris is more of a Bundy than a Brad Pitt. The real problem? James is a monster of a different kind, and Patricia has already invited him in. Little by little, James will insinuate himself into Patricia's life and try to take everything she took for granted, including the book club, but she won't surrender without a fight in this blood-soaked tale of neighborly kindness gone wrong. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I love that she calls him by his first and last name almost the entire book. James Harris? Yeah. 
Because that feels like a very Southern thing somehow. Yes. Or it's like I, there are sometimes just in any part of the country, there are people who you call, call by their full name. Yeah. Like just Stephen Ray Morris. feels right. Yes. Or um, or my my friend Colin J. Morris. That's weird that they're both A. Morris Morris's. type names. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah, there are just some people who it seems like you're supposed to call them by their first and last name. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And it also was interesting. So she calls him James uh, Harris all the time. And mm-hmm. then the second her husband's like, oh, who, Jim? I was like, alert, 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 alert. Defcon 1, Defcon 1. It's like very bad. Also, like when she when she's like, uh, he's like at the door. And I already knew that he was probably a vampire. But when he's like, he's like, oh, is that an invitation? And she's like, yeah, sure. Come in. I was like, no. no. <laughs> it's like you already came across him seemingly dead in his yeah. house. Oh, my God. When she. OK, this book also had some genuinely scary moments. Yes. Scary moment. Number one. It is when, gory. When she goes in his house. But that's yes. after, actually. The first scary moment. Is when she's attacked by his quote aunt. I don't. She's not his aunt. Oh my fucking god! I couldn't stop thinking about that garbage scene when they were looking for the retainer. Oh my! In my best friend's exorcism, and then the scene with um, I guess maybe it's later, but the um, the fucking worm centipede scene in my best friend's exorcism. Yeah, but this. This scene is so revolting. It's so revolting. And he does such a good job of describing, too. He's like, so she's like looking, she's trying to take the trash cans out. She's like, ugh, Blue doesn't like to take the trash cans out after dark. And like, I get it. It is scary. I guess I'll do it because I'm feeling, you know, I'll just do it. Uh, All I have is this little itty bitty flashlight. I'm at the side of the house. Oh my gosh, there's trash everywhere. Um, there is – hold on. I think I took a screenshot of this because it was so spooky. Oh, okay. So she, the first thing she saw was one of Miss Mary's blue incontinence pads in the dirt. A short length of fence projected from the side of the house, hiding the rolling cans from the street. But even from here, Patricia could tell both cans had been tipped over. So she, like, sees that they're knocked over. Then she hears the sound of someone slurping jelly. And I was like, girl, you need to run. <laughs> <laughs> but she does not run and but she like, finds her nothing life. nothing scary or weird has happened yet right it's just the sound of the slurping jelly so she's like hmm what is that it's probably a raccoon like eating jelly mm-hmm. shines the flashlight and it like lights up the eyes of an old naked woman slurping on the intestines of a gutted raccoon <laughs> And I love that she doesn't know. Brady Hendricks is so good at disgusting scenes without you being like, okay. Yeah, no, it is so good. They're very good. And she's like, she doesn't know what to do. And so she just says, can I help you? (laughs) (laughs) Which is very cute. And like, also, I have, you know, I I was actually just talking about this on my stream of like, times when I was a kid that I like saw something weird in the hallway, but it was probably because of my, I wasn't wearing glasses, but where you just freeze, you just stand there and stare at it. Like I have done that where I just stand there and stare at something 
while my brain is trying to figure out what the fuck am I seeing? You just, yeah. So she's just standing there and she's like, can I help you? The woman's like, and then starts (laughs) crawling towards her. (laughs) And then pins her down, crawling towards her and blobbering and trying to bite at her neck. Yeah. It's so the the way it is written, it feels like you're there watching it and it's really horrifying. It's so scary. And guess what? She bites um, off her ear. It I could not believe that. <laughs> I happened. could not believe I was, I was like, like oh, wow. Stakes. Yes, stakes. I was like, Grady, not afraid to do it. Appreciate it. Cannot help but to stand. Stand? Stand. <laughs> Am I okay? I cannot help but to stand and deliver. I cannot help but to stand in ovation. Wonderful. <laughs> it was um, I I liked that one of her reactions was just, oh, no, 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 no. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, what was it? An- All right. So I'm going to read. I'm going to read a little bit. It's when she's recognized that it's Mrs. Savage. And, and she's, it says, this face hanging over hers, slobbering with mindless hunger, belonged to the woman who, for years, had been the bane of the neighborhood. This yawning mouth whose white teeth had raccoon fur stuck between them belonged to the woman who grew beautiful hydrangeas in her front yard and patrolled the old village in the midday heat wearing a floppy canvas hat, carrying a stick with a nail in one end to spear candy wrappers. Now all Mrs. Savage cared about was getting her mouth open onto Patricia's face. She was on top and gravity worked in her favor and Patricia's world filled with white teeth smeared with blood with bristling with raccoon fur patricia felt things tickling her face and realized they were fleas leaping from the raccoon the fleas. there is another um, moment that's later that we'll talk about that is also equally skin crawling oh, <laughs> the cockroach <laughs> the cockroach <laughs> um i liked this part too Uh, The woman crawled up her body, forcing Patricia onto her hands, and Mrs. Savage's mouth slobbered hot and wet and intimate into Patricia's ear. I drive carpool, Patricia's mind gibbered. I'm in a book club. Well, it's not really a book club, but essentially it's a book club. Why am I fighting an old woman in my front yard? (laughs) She's biting my ear. Mrs. Savage, whose yard won the Alhambra Pride Award two years ago, is biting my ear. Dude, it was... Uh, and I love too that this is a moment that's truly traumatizing, and the husbands all use it as like a well. Now that this thing happened to you, obviously you're just traumatized. So everything you're seeing is just we get it. You got your ear bit. I mean, it's scary. So. And it's yeah, and you never fully processed that trauma. And the fact that her husband is a psychiatrist makes it all so much worse oh, because he has the vocabulary to trap her i also like that he's, he's not outwardly like unbelievably evil like he's not locking her in an attic he's not making her take the medication but in essence he is kind of mm-hmm. making her take it by like sort of dangling not their marriage but like his respect for her and like like he puts also her as a mother yes it's like you owe it to the kids to take and it's like if you don't take this medication, then that's a tool I have to use against you. 
Yeah. That you weren't willing to try to get better. But of course, like, don't take it if you don't want to. Of course, it's up to you. But just know the consequences. Yeah, it's really disgusting. Here's the moment when I knew Carter was bad is right after, like, they get, they're leaving the hospital and she's on painkillers and she's babbling about how, like, Mrs. Carter, or Mrs., um, is her name Savage? Yeah, Mrs. Yeah. Savage. Mm, on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, Mrs. Savage bit off her earlobe and swallowed her earring, which she had just been showing off at book club because Carter gave her these <gasps> Oh, my God, earrings. that part. And it was so unlike him because usually he just got her something at the drugstore, gave it to her. But now he got her like an actual nice pair of pearl I earrings. I this too. Yeah. And so she's she's like upset and she's like, they're going to have to monitor her bowel movements. She ate the earring. And she says, she swallowed my earlobe. And with the earring you gave me, it's going to come out. And I suppose they can wash it. She started to cry. Relax, Patty, Carter said. You're not wearing those again. But you bought them for me, Patricia wailed. And I lost them. One of my patients sells costume jewelry, Carter said. He gave them to me for free. Just put the other one in the trash and I'll pick you up something from the Pitt Street Pharmacy. It was probably the painkillers, but that made her cry even harder. Her fucking husband i was like you is a piece, piece of shit of hot steaming shit it's just it, I, that's when i knew i was like oh yeah yeah there was also like i also like how she kind of came around to miss mary like mm-hmm. so carter was um raised by a single mom who uh had he was he was born poor uh and his mom was miss mary and she took care of him um and it kind of was like just him and her because his older siblings were like a lot older so he has a really close connection with her and yet when miss Mm -hmm. mary starts to kind of be unable to live by herself and the only people that can take her in are patty and carter because the other siblings just won't do it um a lot of the caretaking falls on Patty and she, you know, kind of resents Miss Mary, which like, of course you end up resenting someone when it's like, A, it's not your parent and you like are too indoctrinated to resent the correct person that you should be resenting, which is your husband. Um, And Miss Mary starts to get mean and like kind of less and less lucid. uh, And then her book club friends help her to get a uh, caretaker who is Mrs. Green um, to kind of take some of the burden off of um, of Patty. He still is like not like even the emotional caretaking aspect of it still is on Patty and not on Carter, even though that's his mom. He claims he was so close to her, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's kind of resents Miss Mary. And then you know, Miss Mary does pass in a horrifying way. Uh, I could not <laughs> fucking believe that scene. There are so many unbelievable scenes in this book. It's wonderful. She, like, so th- something very traumatizing happens, which we'll get to, but Miss Mary does die. <laughs> um, And later, she's visited by a ghost of Miss Mary, kind of, like, in a vision or a dream. And I loved that moment where she's like, you know, someday Patricia would forget what outfit she was wearing when Carter proposed or what she or her top that she was wearing when 
at Blue's graduation and all these other things, but she would never forget Miss Mary, like the vision she sees is like Miss Mary's shoes kind of walking by and her voice. And she's like, and I would never forget Mm -hmm. that interaction that she had with Miss Mary. And Miss Mary, it's what is Miss Mary saying to her at that point? She's just like, um, oh, what was it? She realizes that. So she thought she was telling her to find the photograph. It's that. And she thought that there was, so Miss Mary says to her something that she thought was supposed to be for, for Carter. And she realizes that it was a message for her. Yeah. She's like, or she thinks about it later. Yeah. How Miss Mary, when she came back, she didn't come back to talk to her son. She came back to talk to her. Yeah. And that that's significant. Yeah. Um. Oh, there was also, oh my God, I'm just finding moments that like give me goosebumps. Like that I was like, there are a lot of really touching moments in this book as well. Um, Yeah. But okay, wait, let's talk about how Miss Mary dies. Yes. So leading up to that, we should talk about the context. Like why would she die? So, so have we talked about, we didn't get into how she meets James Harris, right? No. Okay. So Mrs. Savage attacks her. Mrs. Savage, oh, yeah, that was another part I wanted to read. Mrs. Savage dies Mm -hmm. because clearly she was, like, turned into a vampire. And she has blood poisoning. And, like, her blood is dirty, but they can't figure out how. Mm -hmm. And she has track marks on the inside of her thigh. So apparently they think she was, like, on some drugs or whatever. Yeah, so here's – I highlighted that passage of Grace telling her that. And she she says, oh, she passed. And Grace says, it wasn't rabies, if that's what you're worried about, Grace said. She had some kind of blood poisoning. She was suffering from malnutrition. She was dehydrated. And she was covered with infected cuts and sores. Ben said the doctors were surprised she lasted this long. He even said, and here Grace lowered her voice, that she had track marks on her inner thigh. She'd probably been injecting something for the pain. I'm sure the family doesn't want anyone to know about that. I feel just miserable about this, Patricia said. Is it about those earrings again, Grace asked? Even if you got back the ones she swallowed, could you ever really bring yourself to wear them, knowing where they'd been? Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was so funny. But Patricia is like, no, I feel terrible about her dying. I feel terrible about her nephew who was visiting. That's right. And so she goes and she takes by a casserole. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. And she finds... The nephew, James Harris, lying down in the bedroom, seemingly dead, not breathing, no pulse. Oh, she used to be a nurse. She's, yeah, she used to be a nurse. And so she starts to give him CPR and he wakes up like crazed, not knowing what's going on, insisting that she get out of there. She leaves like the casserole has been spilled all over the floor and she keeps insisting she's going to clean it up. Like she's just trying to be polite housewife all the time, like do what is expected of her do all of the social niceties and she leaves. And then he comes later that night or the next day. He looks great. Maybe he looks fantastic. (laughs) He's wearing jeans. He looks great. He looks um, like he's clearly an attractive man comes by. They bond a little bit about being readers or something. Oh my God. Yeah. And then, and then he, she invites him in and he's very specific about, oh, is this an invitation? She's like, yes, you are invited. And you're like, vampire. 
And he comes in and has like ice cream with the family real quick. Uh, Corey, her daughter is um, talking back. Like she's a teenager now and she's being really snotty. And I, I thought I was going to spend the book liking James Carter or James Harris, even though he was a vampire because he puts Corey in her place. Yeah. He and does. I was like, thank God. She's being pretty bratty. He's being really bratty about her mom having a book club and like the kinds of books they read. And James Harris is like, oh, yeah, what are you reading? And she's, she she's says something like, the like alien. Um, Romeo and Juliet heard of it. <laughs> and he's like, oh, because of school? And like he's like, that cause- that's for school. Yeah. What are you choosing to read? Like followers just read what they're told. And Corey's like, um, yep. Patricia doesn't know what to do, but she's like also she's mortified that everybody's gawking at him and that her daughter is sassing him. Um, And then he leaves. So that's how she's formed this bond with James Harris. Yeah. And. Oh, but then then grandma's acting weird. Not yet. Oh, no, she is acting weird weird in that moment. Yeah, because he has to leave. Yeah, she's like because she had been babbling about owls. Yes. And she'd been babbling about she saw Hoyt Pickens. She's mm-hmm. like, I saw Hoyt Pickens. He stole all of daddy's money. And they're like, mm-hmm, She's like, I have a picture. Miss Mary. She's like, I have a photograph. I'll find that photograph. And then she comes in and she's like, Hoyt Pickens, just because you're not wearing your ice cream suit doesn't mean I don't recognize you. And everybody's like, Oh, this is so embarrassing. Yeah. And he's kind of like, Interesting, then, interesting, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then that night, they hear something on the roof because clearly, like, James Harris was already planning on killing Grandma. Yep. That part was scary, too. He pretends too. to come by and help them. It was scary because they're hearing all this thudding on the and roof. It's, of course, and Corey is scared. Because guess what? Of course. And this was the other thing that pissed me off about fucking husband. So she was like, hey, Carter, can you, like, please come home before dark? Like, I just feel a little bit unsafe since I got attacked. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then does it for like two days and then Mm -hmm. doesn't come home until very late again. And so Mm -hmm. it's just her and the kids at this point. Yep. He, he shows up as though he, he was like, oh, I saw, like, I just came to see if you needed some help, even though clearly he was the one on the roof. Oh yeah. He was like, I just came to, um, you know, you seemed like really upset. So I was like checking on you. Mm-hmm. I was going to see how Miss Mary was feeling. It's like, yeah, I bet you were. And then he's like, here, let me go check he on her. Him. He tries to go in there. Yeah, he still tries to get to her. But Patricia, at least her instincts are kicking in enough to be like, no, you're not going in yeah. there. And she had called the cops. The cops get there. Carter gets home. He acts like she overreacted. Yeah. So that was the first indication that like. Things were not going to go well with Carter. Yeah. And so then this relationship has been established. He, she, he kind of like tricks her just because he knows that she won't feel like she can say no. He's like, I found a bag of money in my aunt's house and I don't know, I don't know how to deposit it because I can't find my ID. They won't let me open a bank account. And so she goes down and she, because she knows the guy at the bank, she convinces him to go ahead and open an account even though he doesn't have an id and she co-signs and then he he gets her to start um like open uh an account with 
the power company. Like she's just doing him all of these favors. And then he and driving him. Asked to join the book club. book club. So he comes over. The women are really annoyed about him being there. Yeah, dog. And then, yeah, it was very weird. <laughs> it was a puss only and event. She clearly, she knew she shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> she knew she shouldn't have done it because she was like dragging her feet on warning everybody. Yep. And then Miss Mary shows up. Oh. Buck naked. Yeah. I think dripping wet. Yes. She had just been. She was in the bath. Showering or getting a bath. Yeah. And she's holding the photograph and she's like, Hoyt Pickens, I found the photograph and you're fucked. I've got your number and now everybody's going to see. And she looks down at the photograph and she's like, fuck, this isn't the photograph. Yeah. And then Miss Green comes out and is like, I am so sorry. I was taking a call. I did not. Oh, my God. I did not expect her to get out of the bath. And Patricia's like, it's fine. <laughs> she, No one can control Miss Mary. It's fine. Yep. And so they take her away. And... Or not away. They just like put her in the other room. <laughs> it's not like she goes somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I think right then so... that's what it is. Then the whole family goes out. Everybody's out except Miss Green is taking care of Miss Mary. Yeah. So this is after there have been just like dinners every night where James Harris just shows up for ice cream. He keeps showing up. And he also and... has a condition. He has a condition where he can't be out in the sunshine. Yeah, he, he can't be out in the sunshine because of his eyes. His eyes get all painful because he had some kind of injury when he was a child. It's fake. It's fake as fuck. And he, but he says all these things where even as a nurse, she's like, okay. Yep. I see what he's saying. I guess that could be it. Mm-hmm. And then she goes to a party while she is at the party. This is definitely the most horrific scene of the book right i don't know man the stuff with slick yeah when she's less graphic though i think the the act is so much more horrible but it does occur off page so that's the other it occurs off page he's not because it is a rape but he's not we don't see it it's not a triggering Mm -hmm. rape because he's not going into super graphic but detail. The, like, he describes oh, what happens, but he doesn't sensationalize after it. is very gross. Oh, that really actually – okay, I think that maybe this, just because it's so much more personal, ties for me with the attic scene with the bugs. Yeah. But this is, like, more large scale and, like, I think – I think it's – for me, it's because of how long it went on. Oh, it's on. so long. Oh, my God. And the total helplessness. Yes. And the dog being attacked by all the oh. rats. And it was just like chaos. What's the dog's name again? Um, um, It's like two syllables. Dun, dun. Like flapjack or something. Or like ragtag. Ragtag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ragtag the dog. Yeah. Ragtag the spaniel. Dude, it's mess. So, oh, before the party, Miss Mary has given her the whole story about Hoyt Pickens. And it is upsetting. Dude. Yes. And that was the other thing. Okay. Okay. So, oh, okay. So, I'm getting all excited. <laughs> so, I love too, because they she harkens back to this story later. Okay. I have to line them up before I, I knock them down. Kelly, you got to calm down. Okay. I know. <laughs> okay, so so the story okay, keep it together. Keep it together. <laughs> keep it together, Nugent. Okay. The uh so the story is that Hoyt Pickens 
came and and uh miss mary used to live in like charleston so it's a little bit up north um it's kind of far away from where they live now um and so that that's worth noting uh so when she was a child when miss mary was a child many many years ago uh this man named hoyt pickens came into town uh her father had been making moonshine out of peaches um and they called it rabbit spit because uh something because it was old timey days yeah it was old time whatever because <laughs> it would be like it would make you like spit at a rabbit yeah. when you drank it's so it's, it's so much that a rabbit would spit like out or whatever down home country yeah. like that and they also live in kind of like a dust bullish like it was very dust bullish in a small town like it's very desolate and there isn't really anything other than moonshine that you can do there so uh uh miss mary's father all he used to do is just drink and then he starts making this rabbit spit and like people start kind of buying it and everyone's like you know people like it this man named white pickens comes and her her dad was like a functional like not a drunkard no he just drank he was like olden times drinking so it was like probably an alcoholic by today's standards but like he was he was functioning yeah um so then Hoyt Pickens comes into town and he's like, you know, you can let this age. And so first he's like, let's fucking get this shit to the people. People are wanting it. Let's start making (laughs) it in bulk. Green light, green light, green light. So dad gets excited. He starts making that he's expanding the operations. He's hiring people. Of course, moonshine is illegal at this time. This is during prohibition. So, um, He's having to keep it kind of under wraps. Also, like, kids keep going missing. Um, and no one cares because they just keep sweeping it under the rug. Then um, Hoyt Pickens is like, you know what? We should age this stuff in barrels and let it turn brown. Um, and you'll start, like, I can move this stuff for you. I'll be your fence. So, like, you make it. I'll sell it to, to my connections. He starts making... Hoyt Pickens and his friends, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, he starts making Miss Mary's father and his friends a ton of money and they're addicted. They're like, oh my gosh, loving this money, loving this power, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yum, 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 yum. Eat it with a spoon. Um, then Hoyt, uh, another child is found in like the distillery dead. And Hoyt, uh, or at first, the dad, Miss Mary's dad is like kind of getting blamed and like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Hoyt Pickens then says, you know what? I think it's that black kid who's like kind of slow and would play music for people. Uh, like this is the words of the book, like would play music for people for, for candy. candy. Oh my God. Just for candy. And Miss Mary was like, everyone knew it couldn't have been that boy, but he was the only person we could blame. So Miss Mary's father and all of his friends got the boy. And he's like begging them, please, please, please. Had Hoyt already disappeared at this point? No, no. Okay. It's Hoyt who who gets them right. to to do this, like to get suspicion off himself. Because Hoyt is obviously look. Hoyt is obviously James. Yeah, Harris. you know this. We know this. Let's acknowledge yes. it. He has been killing children because he's a fucking vampire. Mm-hmm. He's filtering his blood through them, and so he's the one who left the boy there. Yeah, but he needs a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. And so he obviously throws suspicion onto the black man. Mm-hmm. And they go and get him and 
bury him alive under the peach tree. Ugh. And Miss Mary sees this. And the description of her saying she came down and saw her dad. Yeah. And his smile. Let me see if I can. It was, I mean, such it. a good description, like heartbreaking and sickening. It's so creepy. Here it is. So I'll, um, so he's like, the poor man is begging for his life. And Miss Mary says, when I woke up early, there was mist on the ground and I went out back to see if maybe I'd had a bad dream, but I could see the fresh dug dirt. And then I heard a noise and saw my daddy sitting real quiet in the corner of the porch. And he had a jar of rabbit spit between his legs. His eyes were swollen red. And when he saw me, he gave me a grin that came straight out of hell. Dude. And and the, Patricia has like told us beforehand, like in the oh yeah, natural narration of the book, she's talking about how Miss Mary reads like coffee grounds, like a fortune teller. She's just got this sort of like down home southern magic lore yeah. to her. Also, and she refuses she Oh, go ahead. Yeah, that's um so she one of the just like parts of her quirky magic personality is she says don't ever eat the peaches off the peach tree because that peach tree was planted in sadness. Yep. And and so it's going to taste bitter and nobody ate the peaches and then Patricia's like, "But one time I ate one of the peaches and it tasted good." Yeah, she's like, "It tasted fine." And then her but husband Carter found out and he's like, "Never do that again." And so she doesn't, but she doesn't really understand why. She thinks it's just like some superstitious thing. But it's cuz Miss Mary saw her dad bury a black man alive under that peach tree. Yeah. No, like cut it down, girl. Yeah, dude. Burn it. Cut that tree down. That's a curse. It says Patricia realized that was why Miss Mary let the peaches rot. The memory of the fruit's sweet juice running down her chin. It's meat filling her stomach now tasted sour with Leon Sims blood. Dude. And then, um, Hoyt Pickens leaves. And then Hoyt Pickens just disappears. Disappears completely. And the dad, everybody goes broke. Everyone goes broke. Dad just becomes a complete alcoholic. And this is an olden times alcoholic, so you know he's like an alcoholic. Um, mm-hmm. And then he just dies destitute. Um, and she keeps calling it an ice cream suit, too, because he was wearing a white suit. Mm-hmm. Um, so she recognized him. And what I love, too. And he was eating ice cream when she saw him. Yeah. Yeah. And also what I love is that she so Patricia, here's the story. Um oh, I liked the warning that Miss Mary gives her. That's what she it says, was. Night the walking war- men always have what well, do you want to read no, 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 it? No, 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 you no, no, it? you read it, you read it. Oh, okay. So um she says, Night walking men always have a hunger on them, she croaked. They never stop taking and they don't know about enough. They mortgage their souls away and now they eat and eat and never know how to stop. So that's the warning. And it's also, that's also a warning about Carter. Because Carter gets a taste yeah. of that. And he also runs around at night because he's fucking all these women at night. Mm-hmm. When he goes off on, like, he, um, James Harris convinces Carter to become, like, a um, a speaker on these, like, conference circuits mm-hmm. as a psychiatrist. And he opens his own practice. Um, this is after... Patricia has, I guess we'll get to that. Um, so this is later when Patricia has basically like resigned herself to James Harris being in their lives. Um, so she goes 
So after Miss Mary tells her this story, she goes to the party. And while she is at the party, Mrs. Green and Miss Mary have the most horrific night of their lives. Yeah. And essentially the last light of last night of Miss Mary's life. Yes. Do you have any excerpts of the part? Not offhand. The rest? Not offhand. Um, it's worth noting, though, that they've been kind of seeing, like, recently more rats, more swamp rats. Yeah. Do they call them marsh rats? Marsh rats. Ugh. Yeah. It's like a big, terrifying... So, so Mrs. Green is, like, planning her night of taking care of Miss... Mary, she's like, I'll give him, I'll give her a bath later. I'll do this, I'll do that, la la la. And then she looks up and she sees an enormous rat sitting beside the fan in the room. It's huge. It's like a cat size. And she tries to shoo it, but it like does not give a shit. Ragtag starts growling at it. Three more rats appear with this one rat. And she's like, what the fuck is this about? <laughs> Ragtag really on edge. And goes to attack them. And then more rats come. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me see if I can find a good paragraph too. I mean, so she looks up and it says, Rats covered the den, spilling from the door and falling clumsily onto the top step. Wet and muddy, three-legged and four-legged, long-tailed and no-tailed and vile. Black eyes shone, whiskers twitched. Tails squirmed, their seething bodies packed together in the doorway. Rats are fucking everywhere. They're like on the floor, they're on the walls. And then Mrs. Green has this memory of when she was a little girl waking up in bed and a rat trying to eat through her sister's stomach. So she's thinking about that. Ragtag is attacking rats. The rats are attacking Ragtag. She tries to get to Miss Mary's chair to protect her against the rats. She's being bitten by rats this whole like time. ocean of rats. Their, their little claws and their little teeth are like shredding her toes. Ragtag is drowning in a sea of rats. It says rats came over the back of her chair, flowed down over her shoulders, got tangled in her hair. She w- raised one arm holding the photograph she'd been pressing to her leg high up in the air. This is Miss Mary. But the rats hauled themselves up her sleeves, went down the open collar of her nightgown, crawled up her neck, and covered her face. Rats covered the carpet. The sofa, they crawled up the curtains, they darted across the white sheets of Miss Mary's hospital bed, they dashed along the windowsill, they filled the room, but the bathroom door was still closed. If she could get them both in there, she would be safe. A rat is clinging to Miss Mary's waistband, it's trying to get up her shirt. There are, it's just a sea of They're like biting her fucking, they're biting um, Miss Green's ankles and shit. It's fucking terrifying. And Mrs. Green gets into the bathroom and it says she squatted on top of the toilet lid in the tiny hot bathroom, feeling the water beneath the lid boiling with rats as steam filled the bathroom. And after a while, she couldn't hear Miss Mary's shrieks through the door anymore. And then it cuts to Patricia and Carter being at the party, blah, 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 happy birthday. They get home. The house smelled so strongly of wild animals and urine that Patricia's eyes began to water. Ugh. The smell got stronger in the den, the floor dotted with brown pellets and puddles of urine. The sofa was shredded, the curtains hung in tatters. Her first thought was that vandals had broken in. She and Carter walked fast for the garage room and stopped short in the doorway. A giant had picked up the room and shaken it hard. 
chairs turned over, tables on their sides, medicine bottles scattered among dead rats, their corpses dotting the carpet. And in the middle of all this wreckage, Mrs. Green knelt over Miss Mary, caked in blood, clothes torn to rags. She raised her head from the old woman's lips and pressed down hard on her chest, performing perfect CPR compressions. And then she saw them and cried out in a cracked and terrible voice, the ambulance is on its way. Jesus Christ. Three of Miss Mary's fingers had been stripped to the bone. She would need reconstructive surgery to rebuild her lips. They weren't sure about her nose. They thought they could save her left eye. It's really horrible. It's so horrible. And also, like, they're in such denial. They're like, yeah, like, you know, me, she's probably going to be okay. But, like, we don't know if we can, like, rehabilitate her because she's so old. And then literally, like, an hour later, they're like, she's dead. Yeah. They're like, we're really not sure if it's, like, worth it to try to do all this surgery because she's pretty old. And then, yeah, she dies an hour later. Yeah. Um, and then I also liked Patricia. So Patricia's like, well, I have got to go out to give Miss Green a check for everything, you know, because um, – because, you know, now she she got hurt while on the job. So, like, I'll give her a check. Um, mm-hmm. It was a big thank you. And she's like, I'm pretty proud of how much I offered her. And Carter wanted to do less. Like, Carter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's like, I'm going to go over there. So she wants to go out to Six Mile, which is where Mrs. Green lives. And it's like the black neighborhood. Yeah. And she and Kitty – so she gets her friend Kitty, who's part of her book club – to go with her. No one wants to go with her. Um, so Kitty goes with her. Kitty's all scared of the neighborhood because she's low-key racist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get there and there's this group of kids, like these teens that kind of like give them a hard time. They're like, who are you? Who the fuck are you? Why are you here? Blah, 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 blah. And they're like, they're attacking us. And uh, Miss Green yells at the boys and they they disperse. And Miss Green mm-hmm. lets them in. And uh, they're like, did you know that those boys really scared us? And she's like, yeah, well, like, they're just <laughs> white people been killing yeah, kids. Yeah, she's like, there's white, there's a white man that's killing kids. So we're really distrustful of white people right now. And she's like, and Kitty's like, I didn't hear about that in the newspaper. Yeah, Kitty's like, I read newspapers all the yeah. time. And Mrs. Green is like, really? You're like, you're surprised that the newspapers don't care about black kids getting killed yep and it also what i and i don't know if this was intentional i don't think it was but you know what i'm gonna say it i don't care uh i think that um this here right like they're so obsessed with true crime these women and yet they're like well i never Mm -hmm. heard of that of that crime it kind Mm -hmm. of reminded me of some uh some true crime fans and groups tend to not care about crimes against people of color and pretty much only focus yeah. on on white crimes. Um, yeah. And so I like It's that. also, it's it's a good metaphor for, or an analogy, metaphor? Yeah, metaphor for drugs. Yeah. Like white parents freaking, about, freaking out about drugs in the suburbs and when their kids do it, but not caring about just anybody else's kids not caring about black kids in the city being Mm -hmm. because it's like oh well it's 
like they're violent it's gangs blah 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 yeah. but but that kind of stuff shouldn't happen here and i think even some of the characters like some of the book club members say stuff like that we're like well that's like that stuff happens out in the country but not here in our community yeah and it's like but it shouldn't happen to anybody and because when it happens when it happens in their neighborhood they're like this isn't normal and newspapers treat the death of kids in black neighborhoods as normal and they explain it away as they victim blame yeah and they blame the mom too because mm -hmm. the so so pa patricia kind of hears about well so first she's like okay miss green is pretty hurt um but you know what this check will really cheer her up because it is a lot of money and we are very generous <laughs> and and doing the right miss green looks at it and doesn't like have any reaction and she's like hmm that's weird and then later in the conversation, she realizes that, duh, Patricia, Miss Green can't do any other work because she's hurt. You're not the only house she helps. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she is the and and Patricia is like, oh, I am now very embarrassed of the small amount that we gave her in the check. Yeah. So I liked that moment of her humility. Yeah. Um, and it's also it's like, oh, this is. This is what you think. Yeah. Like me putting, like throwing my body in front of a rat bullet. Yeah. <laughs> this is what you think it's yeah. worth. Yeah. Like you've monetized me and it's this. Yeah. And then. And you've monetized your mother-in-law yeah. and it's yeah. this. Yeah. And then Miss Green goes, uh, like she's like, she keeps pushing her. She's like, well, what are these kids going missing? And she's like, well, like the kids will go missing and then they'll come back. And they will, uh, I guess we should put in the description a content warning about like suicide and self harm. Um, we'll we'll do yeah. a content warning for that and for yeah life. in the description. Um, yeah, but so she, uh, she's like, well, these kids will like go missing, and then and they'll come back, and it's it's like they've been on yeah drugs. they're they're withdrawn, they're depressed. And then they're moody. And they're nine, or you know, they're young. And then it's like, yeah, they're and little. And then she's like, and then this one kid who's like nine years old threw himself in front of a bus. Mm -hmm. And other kids are killing themselves in different ways. Um, yeah. And doesn't she say like, oh, that woman's daughter went missing? She says it's currently happening. Okay, but she doesn't specify. To Destiny. Okay, Taylor. Destiny Taylor. That's right. And like right now, her mom thinks that she's on drugs, that it's happening to her. Yeah. And she's like, I am going to send my sons to go live with my grandparents. And I have to stay here because, like, my church is here. My work is here. Um, but, like, they, my sons are not safe here, so I'm sending them away. And Kitty still refuses to, like, take any of this to heart. She's like, I still haven't read about it in the news. Yeah. she She, like, really is not believing that it's – somebody attacking them what what ha do they just leave after that yeah they just leave they just um, leave but it keeps gnawing at patricia yeah because patricia is a good person um and she just keeps thinking like well if i like i i would fight for my kids yeah i should fight for everybody's kids yeah she goes back like carter doesn't believe her that there's a problem and so she's like, I'm going to go back. Doesn't she kind of lie or not say where she's going? 
Yeah, she just says she's going to like check on Mrs. Green, I yeah. think, because they do know where she is. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to go checking on Mrs. Green. Goes back, or she calls Mrs. Green ahead of time. She's like, Is it, it's like nine o'clock. Is it too late to go see Destiny's mom? And she's like, You're not going to want to see Destiny's mom. No one wants to talk to Destiny's mom. She's like, Unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> and she's not going to want to talk to some white lady. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Patricia gives her the spiel, the spiel about children. Mm-hmm. She goes over. They talk to Destiny's mom. Destiny's supposedly sleeping in the bedroom. They talk to her about it. They go to check on Destiny. She's not gone. there. She's missing. Destiny's mom starts freaking out. Patricia goes into the woods to figure out what's oh going on. Oh, my God. On. At this point, I was like, Patricia. Oh. She's like, it's not that far. I think this is why. Because she goes into the woods fully expecting to see James yeah. Harris. Because, um, <gasps> because of the Mrs. Green yeah. had written down the license plate of a white mm-hmm. van, and that it had been hanging out. And earlier in the book, it had been established that Grace writes down the license plate of any car that's unfamiliar, and she wrote down the license plate of James Harris's van when it started showing up in front of Mrs. Savage's house. And the last three digits, because uh, Mrs. Green, it's a Texas plate. Mrs. Green only knew that it was a Texas plate with the last three digits of something. And those match like, the last three digits that Grace wrote down. Yeah. She calls Grace. Grace tells her. And she's like, well, it's the same van. The fact that everybody isn't like, yes, it is the same van is so I stupid. Know. It was blowing my mind. So she goes back expecting to see James Harris. Doesn't she kind of already suspect he's a vampire? She suspects that he is doing something wrong. She doesn't know specifically what. Um she thinks he's like a drug she, dealer. Yeah, she thinks he's doing something least. bad. Because then what she sees, she's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so she, mm, I mm-hmm. see. So she goes, she does eventually find the van, opens it up. James Harris is like so in the throes of sucking Destiny's blood that he doesn't really notice. It's kind of like, I think what we learn is that like when he's doing that, he kind of is like slow and like not. Yeah, he's he has to tune out yeah. the world. Like he's way too involved in what he's doing. Um, he's not aware of his surroundings, and he turns around, and there is like an evil worm, it's like a proboscis sticking out of proboscis, or however you fucking say that. It's like an insect shit, and it's covered in blood, and there's blood dripping down his chin, and it and Destiny has these puncture marks on her thigh. And it's just out cold. And he starts walking and towards her. She has the flashlight on him. So he can't really see her. She skedaddles, calls the cops. Carter shows up. She's telling them all what's going on. She doesn't, she leaves out the part with the. Well, so she goes with um, the cops, remember? She goes with the cops yeah. and they can't find the van. And so already at that moment, I'm like, oh, fuck, she's fucked. Yeah. So she goes back to the house. Carter's there. And at first you're like, okay, he seems to believe her. Yeah, he's oh God, it's so infuriating. He's like even saying to the cops, he's like, My wife wouldn't make this up. And they leave. And before before they leave, Mrs. Green is like, Don't you let them take oh, when they get back, Destiny is there. And as Patricia and Carter are leaving, she's like, Don't you let them take destiny away from her mom they're gonna think that she is like an unfit mother they're gonna take her away and patricia's like like looks into her eyes and takes her hands 
And he's like, I would never let that happen. And then they go home. And the next day, the cops have taken Destiny away from her mom. And she calls Carter. She's like, you have to call them. You can't let that happen. I know what was real, blah, blah, blah. And Carter's like, I cannot jeopardize my like um, position because I am trying to become head of psychiatry at the hospital. And that would just like really like be a problem for me if I was disagreeing with the cops. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, oh, wait, no. Why did I think he would be cool? He sucks. Yeah. She has told the police to go and check out James Harris. They went. The van isn't there. They talked to him. And, and the cops are basically like, I don't know. He seemed like a good guy to me. Yep. And then that night, James Harris comes over. And Patricia's like, oh, fuck. And at this point, she does think he's a vampire. Yeah, because she's like, he's he something. Like, Yeah. And he's like, oh, am I – what's with your tone of voice? Um, the weirdest thing happened earlier, Patricia. Um, some police came by my house, and they were, like, asking questions about where Florence – or, right, is her name Florence? Oh, the mom? The maid who goes missing? Mm-hmm. They were, like, asking why my aunt's – my great aunt's um, maid disappeared and they seem to think that i had something to do with it why do you think they might think that and patricia's like that is so i don't that's so weird that's weird don't mm, pretty weird can't account for that i don't listen to rumors so i don't know who would have done it he's like you're talking to me kind of weird she's like i don't know what you mean he's like oh am i not are you not going to invite me in and she's like uh, oh, won't you come in? <laughs> I know. And she, it says, I liked this part a lot. He had gotten into her house the same as if he'd held a gun to her head. She had to stay calm. She wasn't helpless. How many times had she stood at a party or in the supermarket talking about somebody's child being slow or their baby being ugly? And that person appeared out of nowhere and she smiled in their face and said, I was just thinking about you and that cute baby of yours. And they never had a clue. She could do this. <laughs> She, dude, what follows? Murder. Yeah, what follows is another like fucking stupid idiot. The it is I it oh oh. I highlighted this part too. It's so infuriating. <sighs> okay, okay. So they're talking. She's like, "Oh, I'll write down a recipe for you," and then Carter says. Look, Carter said in his business voice, and Patricia looked at him, trying to convey in the secret language of married couples that they needed to stay absolutely normal because they were in more danger than he knew right this minute. Carter made eye contact, and Patricia flicked her eyes from her husband to James Harris and put everything inside her heart, everything they shared in their marriage. She put it all into her eyes in a way only he could see, and he got it. Play it safe, her eyes said. Play dumb. Carter broke eye contact and turned to James Harris. We need to clear the air, he said. You have to realize that Patty feels terrible about what she said to the police. Mm. Patricia felt like Carter had cracked open her chest and dumped ice cubes inside. Anything she could say froze in her throat. What did mom do? Blue asked. I think it's better if you hear it from your mother, James Harris said. Patricia saw James Harris and Carter both watching her. 
James Harris wore a sincere mask, but Patricia knew that behind it, he was laughing at her. Carter wore his serious man face. I thought Mr. Harris had done something wrong, Patricia told Blue, pushing the words through her constricted throat. But I was confused. The the fact that she is forced to apologize just to save the lives of everybody in the room. Mm -hmm. She is throwing herself on her sword. Mm -hmm. She's being humiliated. She's throwing herself on a grenade. Yeah. It's so unfair. I hate Carter so much. I hate him so fucking much. So Patricia realizes Carter's not going to be a help. She starts getting the book club behind her. The book club we haven't even really talked about. It consists of Kitty, who wears hideous sweaters Mm -hmm. and has a big giant family. And they're kind of broke all the time because her husband, Horse, is always investing in idiotic schemes. There's Mary Ellen, who is a northerner. Her husband's a cop. They moved there from New Jersey. Grace, who is like very uptight and perfect and cleans all the time and is no nonsense, but also very supportive. Like she, I I love the detail of she always calls and says her first and last name. I, She's I, always like, hi, Grace Armstrong here. So <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Like she's the one who sent Mrs. Green over. She got everybody to make sure that um, Patricia had help with this. She's Mary. like type A mama bear. She's, she's protecting yes. everybody. Yes. And then there's Slick, who is very Christian, but like McMansion Southern Christian, uh-huh. where it's like a kind of feeling like God wanted us to be prosperous. Yes. Yes. She's very um, righteous gemstones. Yes. She also like is hiding from her husband that it's a book club. She claims it's Bible study because mm-hmm. her husband's and very that, strict. That's all of them, right? Yeah. So that's the book club. So she gets, she convinces the book club that James Harris is a drug dealer and that he's after kids. And it takes a while for her to convince them. She keeps presenting them with evidence, like full on evidence. And they're like, that's hearsay. And she's like, no, dog. Like, Like, how many books do we read? She's like, Ted Bundy. Or like, why didn't they see that their neighbor was a serial killer? Yeah. We are also ignoring the signs. So then finally they're like, okay, let's do – like they get brave enough to actually do something about it. And who is it? Who uses their connections? Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen because her husband, yeah. Ed, is a cop, is going to send a couple of detectives over to talk to them and hear them out. And they've been <sighs> rehearsing how they're going to deliver this because they know they're going to be told they're crazy. And – by this time, Destiny Taylor has hung herself yeah. with floss in the bathroom of her um, group home after she was taken from her mom because it's implied that once they're – once James Harris is no longer feeding on them, they kind of go into withdrawals. Yeah, because it feels very and they can't good. live without it and they kill themselves. So that's why the kids have been killing themselves. And they're already – for the detectives to come over. The men are all going out with like James. No, not even. They don't even know they're friends with James. That the husbands are They don't know that James they went out yet. with James. But they know that they're out. Yes. They are. Oh, they're all investing in a horse. And so they're all down at the tracks to to see how the horse is doing. Or supposedly. no, they're, they're, they're investing in something K. The, um, the, de- the development. 
property. Gracious K. Yeah, Gracious K. Oh, I thought I'm dumb. Yeah, they're investing. I with thought at first, Kitty's husband. Oh, yes, <laughs> this is true. I thought that for a while they were going along with some dumb horse scheme. Yeah, like a horse about like owning a racehorse. Oh no, no, <laughs> no, no. Like I knew later it was a yeah. So you thought the beginning was about a horse, but I thought in that moment it was about a horse, and they're investing this in a horse. You shouldn't have stupid <laughs> nicknames. This is why you shouldn't have stupid nicknames, and I, it's not my fault, and I'm against it. Oh my god, that's so funny. Uh, so they think that they're all out checking out the land development. Yeah, that they're all investing in now, and they're waiting for. The detectives. The detectives are not showing up. At, they're late. They're late. Why are they late? <sighs> this is so fucking infuriating. They get there. They're like, where are the detectives? They're sitting. They're waiting, waiting, waiting. Because all the husbands have showed up together. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ladies, we need to talk. The detectives aren't coming. And they kind of realize the hint. They get a hint of what's coming. Well, because then James like they all... Harris fucking shows up. No, wait, yet. he doesn't show up yet. That's right. That's right. Not yet. So they're all there. And Mary Ellen's like, were they ever coming? Yeah. And Carter has them all come in because they had all come outside and says they allowed themselves to be led inside. Kitty wiped tears from her cheeks, face flushed. Slick stared at the floor between her and Leland, and he glared at her, both of them holding very, very still. Grace made a point of studying the framed photo of Patricia's family hanging over the fireplace. Bennett looked past them all, through the sun porch windows, out over the marsh. Ladies, Carter said, clearly the other men had elected him their spokesman. We need to have a serious talk. And they, like, they know that they're all about to be told that they're ridiculous Mm -hmm. and we as the reader know that all of them except for patricia are gonna let it go yeah it sucks and and i liked this it took a moment for her blood to stop singing in her ears and to and settle to a duller roar she inhaled deeply and looked around the room she saw leland staring at her with his face stretched taut practically shimmering with rage his hand his hands jammed deep in his pockets. Ed studied her the way policemen on TV watched criminals dig themselves in deeper. Bennett stared out the windows behind her at the marsh, face neutral. Carter watched her, wearing his most tolerant smile, and she felt herself shrinking in her chair. Only Horse looked at her with anything approaching kindness. Yep. So they're all, like, informed that they're behaving like silly children. Who are just like silly housewives who are looking for a distraction. And they're like, James Harris is a good man. He's gotten us all to develop in this land project. And everyone's like, what? And then James Harris shows up. James Harris shows yeah, up. Since when? And they're like, we've... Oh, and that was the other thing. So there was the... um, They, they kind of get on board about it also because they're like, where's the van? Where's the van? Where's the van? And Mary Ellen is the one who has the connection to the storage unit. Grace. Grace, Grace looked into it. So Grace looks into it. And that's what gets her on board. Yes. Because Grace looks into it and she's like, oh, turns out he has a storage unit 
And people that work at the storage unit told me they saw him putting a white van in and out of there. And they have, the thing is, they have the answers for, they dismiss it all so much. And this is the perfect type of gaslighting too, where it's like, Mm -hmm. not only like, oh, I'm going to give you an explanation for like what this is, but it's going to be like, the explanation is because I didn't want to hurt you. Like, they're like, oh, he has a van in there in the storage unit for you guys because you were complaining about the van and he didn't want to drive down the property values so like really he wanted to fit in it's thanks to you he knew it made you uncomfortable you're so judgmental that's He's why. such a good guy and so everything they're like they're like but what about this and he, they're like it's because he's amazing and you are terrible every time and i was so proud of patricia <laughs> Because they give all the explanation and James Harris is there now and it says, I'm willing to let bygones be bygones if Patricia is, James said, and stepped forward with one hand outstretched. Forgive and forget. Patricia saw his hand and the whole room behind it blurred and she felt everyone's eyes on her. Mr. Harris, she said, if you don't remove your hand from my face immediately, I'm going to spit on it. Patty, Carter stabbed. James gave a sheepish grin and pulled his hand back. I thought we were friends, he said. I'm sorry for whatever I've done to offend you. Shake hands with him right this minute like an adult, Carter said. Absolutely not, she said. I was like, good for you, girl. Good for freaking you. Yeah. And she refuses yeah. to apologize to him, which I loved. I mean, it does end up kind of biting her in the ass. Yeah. Oh, she doesn't read that Destiny killed herself until the following morning. Oh. And then it, she's like, fuck. Yeah. She's like, keeps saying to Carter, like, why can't you see it? That girl killed herself. Just like I said, all those other kids were blah, blah, blah. And then Carter's like, here's some Prozac. I think you should take it. Yeah. Yeah. And he, this is when he's like, look, I'm not going to make you take it. It's your choice. You are allowed to, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. But I'm just saying that if you value our family and your you know, rights as a mother and all that, like you would do the right thing. But again, you don't have to take it. It's up to you. Yeah, I'm not forcing you. She calls everybody in the book club and they're like, nope, it's over. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to make my life uncomfortable just to save some kids I don't even know. Yeah. And she goes over to Grace's house because Grace isn't picking up the phone. And Grace is beat up. Yeah, Grace has been like uh, her husband, I think, Emmett um beat her yeah and broke all of their wedding china which she had previously been like earlier in the book really carefully cleaning it and describing how it had been passed down in her family for generations and Mm -hmm. yeah it was out on the table because she'd been meticulously cleaning it and and he broke it all yeah and and she's like no i'm not going to put my family on the line and I didn't expect Patricia to, because I thought this was going to be a revelation Mm -hmm. to Patricia, but it seemed like she knew, didn't it? Because at one point she's like, just because you don't pursue this, like Emmett's still going to have one too many and come home and hit on you. Yeah. I think she, I think she probably knew deep down and this was the first time she was seeing evidence of it, but also she's like- She's angry and she's being pretty callous to her friend 
but also her friend is not behaving. Like it, I do like that. There's no real good person in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, she calls Mrs. Green. Mrs. Green. Grace has fired Mrs. Green. Mm-hmm. And she's and Patricia's like, I'm still gonna help. I just need to wait for things to calm down. They'll all come on our side. And Mrs. Green is like, that's bullshit. You're not gonna help anybody. Goodbye. And then, and then Patricia takes the entire bottle of Prozac, except for that one pill that he put on the on the saucer. I yeah, didn't like she that. Like, she put that down the sink. And then she took the whole rest of the bottle. And then she wakes up strapped to a bed. And this is another very infuriating part. Mm-hmm. She's strapped to a hospital bed and she's like about to fucking puke because this, these like Swedish meatballs boiled in ketchup are like stinky. Um, and her husband's there and he's like, hey, so you did something really irresponsible. Blue is the one who found you. You fucked him up for life. Blah, 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 blah. I you know what? I should have known that you were like too traumatized from everything that happened to think that you could like stand to be by yourself. This is, you know, you really, whatever. And then the kids come in and they're so, I was so oh. upset. I couldn't believe that the kids didn't hug her. Well, yeah. I mean, I got why they were mad because, you know, I understand. I, I just, I was just so upset for her that they did. I know. Me too. And how he – well, I could tell that he was probably poisoning them against her prior to that. That's true. He probably already fed them a, a bunch of shit about, like, your mom's not in her right state of mind. She's being a bad mom. Yeah. She shouldn't have done well, cause that. Because she even has a moment where she's like, he did this to me. Like, he has me strapped to this bed, and I can't reach out and hug my children. And, like, he is doing – like, it's this is the first time that she truly is, like – Carter is doing this to me. Like, it took this for her to be like, Carter is the source of this. So, I mean, I was proud of her in that moment, but also felt really sad for her. And Blue yeah. won't even look at her. And he's like, hey, buddy, you want to go get some chips from the from the commissary? Yeah. And Blue's like, whatever. And leaves. And Corey won't even look at her. And then we time jump. Three years. I was so upset when that happened. <laughs> I was like, no, Patricia. Uh-huh. Poor Patty. Yeah. So it's three years later and she's like fully back in indoctrination land. Yeah. She's at this party. She still won't talk to James Harris though. She still right. avoids him. She does avoid him. He's still pretty creepy to her. Blue is worse. <laughs> He's weirder. Blue is oh, – he is like full – School I was just going to say, mode. he is like, we need to talk about Blue. Yes. Because he's, he's next level, dog. He's like, he's, oh, long gone. Mm-hmm. But Patricia doesn't really try to say anything because she views it all as her fault because he found her having a seizure on their kitchen floor. And because fucking Carter told her that. He's like, you know what you did to Blue? And she's like, oh my God, what did I do to Blue? Um. So then she goes to the party and then... She smells fucking Swedish meatballs. And she's like, ugh, ugh, I have to get out of here. And so she walks out and she's like, I can't be near the smell. It smells like when I was in the fucking hospital. Um, and she sees James Harris again and she's like, ugh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna even bother. <laughs> not, today. not today. Not today. Yeah, <laughs> for real. She's like, I can't. Oh, and Slick is the only one who visited her in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And so everybody else is dead to yeah. her. 
And Slick, I do like that she's like, Slick is still like really weird and religious, but I can kind of use that to my advantage because like, I'll just tell her that he's Satan. Yeah. Because <laughs> he is. So I did like that. Because he is an evil yeah. being. <laughs> um, and how, did, what, how does this get to her going into his attic? How does that? I was just about to say the same thing. I, is it? Because she hasn't seen that he's feeding off Corey yet, has she? No, but she thinks that's what it is. He keeps hanging out with Blue. And then her husband's like, oh, oh I'm going to yeah. have to start going out of town a lot. And, like, he's going to have to hang out. Or he's been doing that. But he's like, now, James, you can, like, watch after the kids and, and my wife when I'm gone. And he, and James is like, I'm looking forward to that. And she's like, don't fucking touch me. <laughs> yeah. And then how does she get, like, suspicious of him again? That's my question. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Miss Mary. Miss Mary's ghost. Yes, that's what it is. Miss Mary's ghost visits her. And she sees the photo. Um, she, she finds the photo. No, she – so Miss Mary is like, he's coming for the children. He's taken the child. He's taken my grandchild. He's come for my grandchild. The night walking man, Hoyt Pickens, suckles on the babies, on the sweet, fat babies with their fat little legs. He's dug in like a tick. He's dug in like a tick and he's sucking everything out of you, Patricia. He's come for my grandchild. Wake up, Patricia. Wake up. The night walking man is in your house. He's on my grandchild. Wake up, Patricia. Patricia, wake up. Wake up. And what's the name she uses? What's the name at the end she says? Doesn't she say a name? And she's like, who is that? She says Miss Green's name, right? Well, she tells her Miss Mrs. Green has the photograph. Go see Mrs. Green. Yeah. She says Ursula Green. Ursula Green. That's what it is. Yeah. So she's like, oh, damn. Shit. So she goes over. Mrs. Green is like, bitch, I don't want to see you. You did exactly what I said you would. And Patricia's like, I'm really sorry about that. But um, as it happens, the ghost of Miss Mary yeah. told me you have a photo I should see. And then Mrs. Green is like, oh, fuck, fine. I did see Miss Mary. <laughs> Here's the photo. And it's the photo she had been holding the night she died, and it is of James Green as Hoyt Pickens in an ice cream suit with Miss Mary's And it says, like, 1928. And she's like, fuck, okay, he is a vamp. He is, he is, he is. We have to get in there. Oh, yeah, and Mrs. Green is working for a service now, and she's like, I'll get onto the duty of cleaning his house. You will come with me. We will search for evidence. And she's like, great. So now I have this folder with like the license plate numbers, the um, the photo, and like some other stuff that Mrs. Green had put together. She's like, Ugh. and she shows the photo to Slick. Slick's like, great, knowing that like Slick won't be able to deny it. Slick's like, oh, fine, he's a demon. I'll help you look in his house. And she's like, but let me like pray on these. Let me keep this folder. I'll pray on it, and then I promise I won't tell any. I won't tell my husband. I promise. And she's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Then she she's like, okay, great. Next day, I'm going to get in. I'm going to search. We're going to find some evidence. Um, and uh, Slick will meet us there. So she comes in. I did like that the other maid, Laura, was like making, like extorting them. <laughs> like she was like gonna. So uh, uh, Patty goes up to the back the sliding back door, which, by the way, he had torn down the aunt's beautiful old house and put in a McMansion. Oh, right. So she, like, knocks on the sliding glass door, and um, Mrs. Green lets her in, and then Laura, the other maid, comes in. And she's like, oh, I'm just looking for the keys. And Laura gets out her cell phone, and she's going to call. 
and uh, she's like what's this 20 doing so she like gives her some money and she's like still holding out her hand and still holding the phone up so she has to give her more and she uh she only has like 20 bucks left or 10 bucks left or something uh so she keeps that and laura hangs up the phone and goes back to cleaning it's like fine i'll let you look around she can't find anything can't find a thing then she and mrs green find a pull down attic this scene is so terrifying. She goes up there. It's very dusty. There's lots of like little silverfish and spiders and shit. She looks around. Can't really find anything. There's like some old stuff from the old house. And she's like, why do you keep that? Keeps looking, keeps looking. She finds this really heavy Samsonite bag. Cracks it open. Oh my God. It's the, the dead body of the old housekeeper. Oh my God. Florence. Florence. She's like, Holy fuck. Barf, barf, barf. <laughs> She's like, Mrs. Green, come up here. They look at it. Um, and then Mrs. Green goes back downstairs because they hear him coming fucking home. So he's coming home. <sighs> Clink door opening. <laughs> Laura standing downstairs. And 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 Patty can see Laura standing right next to where the drop down uh, ladder is. And Laura just holds out her hand. <laughs> Patty throws money in her hand and Laura closes the attic to hide her from, from him because he's coming upstairs. She can't go out any other way. So she's like, I have to find something to hide behind. She sees this pile of like rotting, musty clothes. She's like, I guess I have to hide under these. She <laughs> gets under them and there are fucking spiders and shit. Oh, Francine. Francine. The Francine, woman's Francine, not Francine. Yes. She gets Sorry. under them. Very bad. And there's like little spiders raining, raining down on her face. And he's in the attic at this point. He's like, where are you? He's like, I'm going to find you. I know that you're here. He's like, warriors, come out to play. And she's like, <laughs> so she's like trying to slowly inchworm her way more under these clothes. Spiders all over her fucking face and arms. There's like <sighs> bugs, just spider webs and bugs just like all over her. And she has to stay really still because he's getting closer and closer. So she's finally. And there is a cockroach on her He's face. very close. The cockroach is there. So so he's he's getting closer. <sighs> oh. So then <laughs> I have the page. No. No. The roach crawled down the side of her face over her ear probing inside her ear canal with its antenna. Then, drawn by the warmth, its legs began to scrabble into her ear. She felt the antenna waving, exploring deep inside her ear, and it sent cold shivers down her spine and biled, biled, boiled up her throat as she pressed her tongue against the roof of her mouth and felt the bile fill her sinuses. And the legs were inside her ear now, and its wings were fluttering delicately against the top of her ear canal, and she felt it crush its body into her ear. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still getting closer. Getting closer. James is right there. James is right there. He's like, he's like, bitch, where are you? I can fucking find you. <laughs> it gets worse. Do you have it? And she has to. Yes. <laughs> so he leaves. 
Patricia scrambled out from under the pile of clothes, feeling mouse dropping shower from her body, tearing at her ear, and she couldn't catch the roach, and it panicked and squirmed, pushing its way into her ear, and she grabbed her soft tissue all around it and crumpled her ear closed. Something crunched and popped, and warm fluid oozed deep inside her ear canal, and she pulled out the mangled corpse of the roach and scraped the hot gunk out with her finger. Oh, are you fucking kidding me? That's the nastiest oh, shit that I ever heard. It's so fucking nasty. It's so good at insect body horror. Holy fucking why does this woman have the worst look with ears? She does. And this is after she got her ear plastic surgeried. Oh. That's fucking gross, dog. It's truly awful. It's, truly, it's so awful. Truly gross. But then she still uh, has the problem of he is in the fucking house. And she's up there. No, he left. Oh, right. He now left. So he's gone. So she scrambles down. Lori or Laura, Laura. is there and she's like, Mm. Oh, she is already like upcharged before Patricia yeah, went up yeah, the she, attic. She, she upcharged okay. her to keep quiet. So she comes back down. And Kitty's there. Patricia has to like clean up dirt. Kitty, oh yeah, Kitty's Kitty there. comes. Kitty sees yeah. Kitty sees um Francine's corpse. Because yeah, she shows Kitty the corpse. So now she's so now Kitty can't deny it. This is also like one of the most stressful moments they of the leave. book. No, no, no. They don't leave yet because she, so she's like, okay, wait, we need to take something from the, from the corpse. So let's take the wallet. We'll take her wallet and we'll take her driver's license just so that way we can get the police to come back and check. But we need to make sure that he doesn't know Mm -hmm. that we found the corpse. Oh no, we have tracked dirt all over his fucking house. He's going to know. So we have to clean and shampoo the carpets before he fucking comes back. (laughs) so stressful so they're like trying to shampoo these fucking carpets and vacuum and clean and then all of a sudden they hear the jingle jangle of keys and oh and right remember remember um so they're vacuuming because they have to vacuum the shampoo up from the carpet Uh and so they're taking turns watching at the door and so she's vacuuming and kitty's like he is here so they're like fuck so they have to put everything away. They start running out the door. And then Patty realizes he's still fumbling with the keys. Oops, he's dropped his keys. Patty realizes we left a paper towel roll out on the counter. And he's going to know that we cleaned up. Oh, my God. So she runs out. And I'm just picturing this with, like, a like a view of, like, a, a, pan, a like diorama view of the house, like, bisected, where we can see into the house. Of her running back, grabbing the paper towel roll, (laughs) running. Kitty grabs her. They're sprinting out the back door. They close the back door as he's coming in. And he's like, la, 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 la. (laughs) And they're like, holy shit. So they run out. And they make it. And they're like, great, he doesn't know yet. We have to figure out what to do. Well, like, they know that he knows. But, like, nothing's for sure. And so they can keep pretending. And then what do they do? I think they just leave. And then they put into plan leave? the mo the they put into motion the plan, right? Um, no, she goes to find Slick. That's right, because Slick oh right, right, right. So first Slick calls her and is like, I'm really sorry. Like I thought that I could take it into my own hands. And so I called him 
and I told him that um that or does she well, find that out later? She doesn't she's not she is not in a state of mind to say anything. Well, wait, so she wait, so then the only way the way that Patty finds out is after, right? Is it after? She finds out when she goes there. Okay. So because Patricia or Slick has called. Let me she find. says, I didn't make a sound. That's all she says over and over again. I didn't make a sound. And she's crying. <sighs> and Patty's like, I'm coming over. Oh, and also Slick had been. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. She just keeps saying, I didn't make a sound. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Um, yeah. And then Patty goes over there. Yeah. And family's playing Monopoly. And it's Halloween night because. No one wanted to come to Slick's idea oh, yeah. of like a Slick reformation to party. Have a, yeah, where everybody dresses up like people of like the their favorite reformation. Like, she's like, you know, like Martin um, Luther from history. I was like, this is dorky as fuck, girl. It's like you are crazy. And the church is like, mm, cute idea. No, thank I like you. that the we church was like, have. this is dorky even for us. Yeah, this is a crazy idea no one will want to do so it's just her and her family playing um playing monopoly and it's crazy that they don't realize how long she's been gone well moms are very taken for granted they are they are so then she run runs in and she's like i came to go see slick and they're like is she okay and the husband tries to like see what's up she's like it's woman problems and he's like oh I'll leave you to it. And then she goes into the bathroom. And this I'm not, I don't want to describe in detail. No. We'll just say that after Slick said, I have the photograph. If you agree to leave town quietly, I won't, like, we won't reveal your secret. That doesn't work. Um, But Patricia is over at your house getting evidence. So you should listen to me. Yeah. And then James Harris comes over and he does rape Slick and Patricia helps her like clean herself off because like he has left like this oozing black goop. I think it's like his poison blood, right? Like it turns her. Yeah. It's turning her, which we learn later it's turning her into a vessel for a vampire. A vampire. Like when she dies, the the vampire's gonna come out of her fucking body or whatever. She, or maybe she will be one. Yeah, he basically impregnated her with her vampire self, mm-hmm. or, or like the the thing that lives in him. He has now put in her. Yeah. So like he's like um, like this is a vampire reproductive process. So he has impregnated her with a vampire creature. That she will then have to feed. She's dying. Um, they go to the hospital. The hospital is like, she's dying. She has an autoimmune disorder or disease or something. We don't know what it is. Her husband is, Leland is convinced it's, or he's afraid people are going to think it's AIDS if they say autoimmune. Yeah. And then James Harris uses that to say like, oh, he's afraid of that because. He sleeps around. He's been sleeping yeah. with prostitutes and and women and it, he hasn't been using protection and he has stds and he probably has aids and he gave slick aids and then he's like and by the way like your husband sleeps around too just so you know which she kind of knew 
So that's the other thing is that he's yeah. using kernels of truth, which sucks. Yeah. Which is gaslighting. Mm-hmm. And and then he's like, yeah, Carter doesn't deserve you. I want to replace Carter. I know. And she's like, I have to think about it. <laughs> she was like, this is new information. This is interesting. Thank you for telling me. I will consider this. And then she's like, mm, we need to come up with a plan to kill him because, like, uh, not, uh, he wants me to be his, like, fucking brightest Frankenstein shit. Like, I can't do that. Um, so she and her friends cook up a plan. And we're not completely privy to the entire plan. But, oh, because she comes up with a plan because she walks in on him suckling on the inner thigh of Corey. And she's like, fuck, this whole time I thought he was trying to take Blue, but he's taking Corey. It's so, this is so sad. And it's all just, it's all such a horrible metaphor for like an actual community rotting from the inside where like the men are all in these shady real estate Mm -hmm. deals and the women are just dealing with it and their kids are on drugs and the moms are blaming on top of it it's Mm -hmm. such a good like the way that he treats blue and Corey later is like how how someone would groom a child like it is classic like this person is in our community and preying on our children uh for like Mm -hmm. and like this family friend has been molesting my teenage daughter and convincing her that it's a consensual relationship and of course and it completely captures too how good it feels to be groomed because what he's you feel yeah, what he's doing to her feels very good as we learn but she can't live without exactly. it and that's how what grooming makes you feel and, and it's like no i explained to her my condition i just have to clean my blood it's no big deal like after <laughs> she gets caught and she beats him yeah. off and He's like, it's no big deal. She volunteered. She wants to help me because she loves me. She, I love your children. It's because she is such children. a good person. Don't you realize that Corey's a really good person? She's trying to help me, Patty. And I just want to be her dad. It's like, oh, it's like God. so level. This is so disgusting. And she's like, well, I have to think about it. And he's like, do think on it. And then she's yeah. like, we need. I just want to. She's like, Defcon One family. She's like, this has got yeah. book club. We have got. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on. And at first they're like, I don't know. And she's like, Kitty, you saw the fucking body, you know. And Kitty's like, I did. And she's like, okay. And Slick's like, Slick, you were raped and saw the photograph. And Slick's like, yes, this is also true. And then. And then they convince Mary Ellen. Yes. But Grace refuses to be convinced. Oh, yeah. And Mrs. Green is there. Yeah. And Mrs. Green has always been on it. She's like, we got to do this. And she's like, also, by the way, you all suck. You should have. She's like, this could have been stopped. If you cared about, if you cared about children of color, you would have stopped this. But you know what? Here we are. And now he's after your kids. Wow. What a surprise. What a surprise. Yeah. Okay. Now you. She's like, I will help you for this, but we're not fucking friends, so don't try and pull that shit. Also, Grace, you think I'm trash? You treat me like trash? Guess what? You live a terrible life, and you let this happen. So who's trash? And then she's like, Now let's do this. (laughs) So Grace is, but Grace still. So they like, yeah. Grace leaves. They come up. They study up on every single like way to kill a vampire, and they're like, We will just use all of them because we don't know what's true. 
we're going to find all the ones that overlap in the different mythologies and books and novels and stuff. And so they show up. (laughs) Well, Patricia's like, here's how we'll like get him into a vulnerable position because I saw how he was when he, he was like feeding off of destiny. And then Corey, he like his senses, he, he can't pay attention to what's going on around him. So I will offer myself up. And this scene made me so very sad. Yeah, it was really sad. It was really sad. She gets dolled up and she puts on her sexiest dress and she goes over there and she's like, I'm tired of my husband. I want to live an exciting life like you. I want you to make me like you. And he's like, this is laughable that you think I am this dumb. Mm -hmm. I'm going to feed off of you because I want to. Yeah. You are not fooling me. What's going to happen is I'm going to feed off you for a year and then I'm going to get rid of you and then I'm going to I'm going to adopt your children. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to feed off of them. And also he's like he's like so you're just buying yourself your kids some time. And that's the best you can do with what you're offering me. And also I and she's like I, the part that also like really broke my heart is when she was like um when he laughs at her all of a sudden she like her uh outfit feels too tight and like she looks She's like, oh, I look like an idiot. Like that, I was like, oh. She already didn't like how she looked, but like now she's like, she like gets down on her knees sobbing, just saying like, okay, fine. I'm the weakest possible person there could be. Carter doesn't respect me. Carter cheats on me all the time. He flies out. He doesn't like, we all stay home and we pack for our husband's sex trips. Mm -hmm. And, and we smile while we do it and they get home and we pretend that we don't smell perfume on them and we pretend that we don't smell other women on them. And I am sick of my life to just take it. If I'm buying my kids another year of freedom, so be it. She's totally broken. But at the same time, she does know that they're coming to kill him. Yeah. So she, so she does break down and she does. She's smarter than me. Even though this is all. Yeah. True. But he also is like, everybody underestimates you, but I don't underestimate you. When when Slick said that you were on your way to get evidence, I knew that you were here and I knew that you would find it because I don't underestimate you. He just still thinks that she's so much weaker than mm-hmm. him, but he at the same time respects her way more than the men. Yeah. Which is why I hate the men more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is what he is. They want to be him which is makes them more disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, he starts to feed on her. It feels great. The other women shows up. It, it feels great, but also it hurts. Um, the other women show up and just start beating on him with an aluminum baseball bat. Oh, yeah, because Kitty is good at softball. And they knock him out, and then they there's like this just like knock down drag out fight in the bathroom where they're like kitty is trying to pin him to the ground and mrs green is stabbing him mary ellen peaser pants and mary ellen peaser pants um she was supposed to be the stabber uh, but she pees her pants and she hands the knife to mrs green so she, she can't th- even do she it she throws it under yeah, yeah mrs green has to throw it because mary ellen can't even do that she's they're like the knife mary ellen and she's like Ugh. But, like, 
Respect to Mary Ellen. She, she didn't went. go at least. She went. She was paralyzed by fear, but she went with the intention of helping. And then when it came down to it, her body was too consumed by fear. Not her fault. So they have this bloodied mess of of uh, James Harris. And, and he's like laughing them at them. He's like, I'm already healing, you stupid bitches. And they're like, why is it always bitches? They always go to yeah. their bitch. And and they're like, whatever, we're not listening to you. And they get him in the bathtub and they just start sawing off his limbs. And he's and they alive. Put each limb in a different trash can. And the limbs are trying to are the limbs are still moving. They're still alive. They're trying to get itself back together. They have put up a chart of how to dress a deer. Yep. And and he's like, he looks at it, realizes that's what they're going to do. And then he's like, you can't do this. I'm one of a kind. Oh, I'm, so unique. I'm a beautiful anomaly on earth. I'm unique. I'm the only one like me. I'm unique. You can't do this. It's like destroying a work of art. You don't want to do this. I can give you power. I can give you power. I can help you live forever. It's going to be great. Just let, this is fine. This is, but just like, let me live. It is. So- and they're just like, keep talking, asshole. Yes. And they saw off every part of him and they put every part of him in a different trash Also, they're, bag. they're like, we're going to put out a tarp and it'll be so easy to clean up. Yeah. And they're covered There's blood, blood everywhere, guys. Everywhere. And then Grace shows up and she's like, hmm, <laughs> let's tidy up. You do this. You do that. I'll do this. You guys take the parts here. What's the plan? You brought an extra change of clothes? Great. Okay. You guys are planning to go and have him cremated? You're not going to have time to get there. You're a mess. Here's what we're going to do. Me and Emmett, we have grave plots already reserved. You're going to go. You're going to take those grave plots. You're going to bury parts of him in different things. Yeah. All right. Let's do it, ladies. I am very good at cleaning. <laughs> I loved the part between her and Mrs. Green where they're exchanging um, thoughts on cleaning. <laughs> yes. I liked that, too, where it was like ammonia versus bleach. Oh, I'll read this afterward. I found another part that I highlighted that's very good. It's about the gaslighting. But um, so let me see if I can find that part where Grace and Mrs. Green are deciding how best to clean up all the blood. (laughs) Here it is. So they're like, the plan, Grace is like, your plan was to have him look like he disappeared, right? This does not look like he disappeared. <laughs> this looked like he was fucking butchered, which he was literally. Yes. Um, so it's, she says, between us, we've been cleaning houses for 80 years, Grace said. I believe we're up to the challenge. Now, we'll need baking soda, ammonia, white vinegar, and dishwashing detergent. We'll need to get the sheets and towels in the washer and spray the carpets first so they can soak while we work. We should wash the towels and that duvet in the shower, Mrs. Green said. Get it real hot and take a hard bristle brush to them with some salt paste. Then put it in the dryer with plenty of fabric softener. Let's see if we can find some hydrogen peroxide for these blood stains in the carpet, Grace said. I prefer ammonia, Mrs. Green said. Hot water, Grace asked. No, cold. (laughs) Interesting, Grace said. (laughs) It's just like so sweet. Yeah. It is. It's really cute. How they're like, okay, we're moms and we clean and this is what we do. And even if it's a vampire, we're going to take all of our years of experience and we're going to trade some tips while we do it. Yeah. It was, I, I really liked that. Mm-hmm. So they bury the parts and then they go to their homes and Patricia's like, 
bitch, I want a divorce. Thank God. Thank God. Slick dies and Patricia was straight with her about the fact that um, James Harris had put a vampire inside her. And so she's like, get my get Leland and my lawyer here. I need to change my will so that I ask to be cremated instead of buried. Yeah. So that's taken care of. She gets cremated. Yeah. And then like a while later, Patricia like regularly goes to see Slick's um, remains Mm -hmm. and and she like brings a book and a bottle of wine. And then she goes and she looks at the graves that now contain the parts of James Harris and she can hear them moving below the surface. Yeah. Oh, you know what part made me like, oh, there were two parts at the end. So one, mm-hmm. Ragtag had survived the mouse attack, but then, you know, Ragtag oh, starts getting yeah. old and um, the kids are like, they, they find out that Ragtag starts walking in circles. This actually happened exactly to my dog growing up when I was a kid where she was just like walking in circles Aww. a lot. And they're like, well, it's a brain tumor. She, it's just going to get worse, but she's not in any pain. And that's exactly what happened to my dog. She like kept going in circles and then, and then she just died eventually. Um, but. So Ragtag's going in circles, going in circles. And then the kids are like, okay, well, we're going to take care of Ragtag and spend the night downstairs with him. And then they had gone to sleep, each of the kids on either side of Ragtag cuddling. And then when she came downstairs, the kids were asleep and the dog was dead, which I was like, oh my God, that's so sad. Um, And then the other part that really got me, there are a couple, but one, another one that really got me is when Carter's like, all right, kids, we're getting a divorce. Yes. Who do you want to live with? And they both say mom. And she had completely yeah. surprised. She had thought that they would for sure pick Carter. And that moment, such a good victory. Because, yes, because she he had set it up to to make her feel like she was, she couldn't say anything in regards to their parenting because mm-hmm. she had tried to kill herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that made me really happy too. Um, and then uh, there, there's this part I want to read. It's at the end. Uh, sometimes when she was doing laundry or washing dishes, Patricia would stop. Yes, I had this up. <laughs> her heart pounding double time, blood <laughs> swelling in her veins, overwhelmed by the sheer horror of how close they'd come. They weren't stronger than him. They weren't smarter. They weren't more prepared. But circumstances had brought them together and allowed them to succeed where so many others had failed. Patricia knew how they looked. A bunch of silly Southern women yakking about books over white wine. A bunch of carpool drivers, skinned knee kissers, errand runners, secret Santas, and part-time tooth fairies with their practical jeans and their festive sweaters. Think of us what you will, she thought. We made mistakes and probably scarred our children for life, and we froze sandwiches and forgot carpool and got divorced. But when the time came, we went the distance. That, I was like, (laughs) yeah. I mean, just like this whole entire last paragraph is like quotable. It's so like beautifully written without being cheesy. it I, oh and then basically like everything's changed yeah. forever yeah and then i also like all of this like reminiscing and thought is kind of happening when she's like standing at the crypt like with her ear to it listening to his fucking body parts move around yeah <laughs> it's crazy but i mean this is such a good book like this is this is one of those books that like changes your life i think like this book yeah for me it was like this book my best friend's exorcism Cersei, uh, uh, behind the scenes of the museum, like those books, they, they change your life, man. Like it, it resonates uh, so specifically. Yes, yes, 
Yeah, for sure. It really, it hits on something and it tells us, it tells the stories that don't get told that need to be told. Yeah. And those stories get to the people who have their stories that they need to see. Yes. Themselves reflect. And it, it, like, it doesn't matter that I'm not a mom. Yeah living this specific life it like it's almost like and i'm not saying this is only true of women either i'm not like women are goddesses and we're connected (laughs) um because i'm sure that men feel this way too but it's like you have every type of woman or man or person living inside of you yeah at all times like you could be any one of these things yeah and so I could see it's like I see this life that I might have lived. Well, it helps because it's written so well, and too. I empathize with it. Yeah. Yes. No, I totally agree what you mean. I agree what you mean. I totally understand what you mean, and I agree with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's true. True. Like when I was reading this, I felt like I were was Patricia, yes. and like that's the power of this. And kind Patricia of isn't. I what I and what I really like about the end in that section that you just read is that. Patricia is not special. No. Patricia is one of many women like her. Mm -hmm. She wasn't like, she's not a chosen one. She wasn't truly uniquely equipped to deal with the situation. Like the whole thing about like, if, if each of them hadn't worked at their very specific jobs with their very specific skills, it wouldn't have worked out. Mm-hmm. So it's like if she hadn't read so many true crime books, but like lots of people read true crime books. Mm. So she's not like she's just a woman trying to live the life that is expected of her. She's not even described to be especially brave or especially smart or especially strong. She just finds it in herself to be those things when confronted with this crazy situation yeah it's it's one of those things of that like will always get me there are like certain and i don't even want to say tropes because they're not widespread enough to be tropes but like certain feelings or like emotions that will always get me and this one is one of those where it's like the person who's just survived this thing that's just like fuck we did it and there was no reason why we could have but we did and we tried really fucking hard and and like there's not it just happened that we did it and it's not because you know we were this super team oceans 11 thing it was just like we we tried really hard and we put really fucking hard and it worked (laughs) it reminds me a little bit of um people some people don't like this movie um but i liked it a lot uh the turn the turn for uh sandra bullock's character in gravity um where I don't remember it well enough. So she starts out being kind of like nihilistic and not caring if she lives or dies. And then there's a moment where she's like, fuck, I do not want to fucking die. And she just tries and tries and tries really hard and fucking fights her way to survive at the end. And that to me, like, is so like, it's very, you know, last line of angel or whatever, where, or not last line, but you know, like if, if nothing we do matters, then the only thing that matters is what we do type of thing where it's like, Mm -hmm. look, we didn't necessarily have a chance. 
the only thing that we did was try. And I guess it worked. Like that shit gets me. I don't know. Like it's. Yeah. What a tremendous. It was a wonderful book. Really Um, wonderful book. Yeah. It's really, really good. Um, This section on the gaslighting that happens just before. Oh, yeah. This is. This, these are the paragraphs just before she takes the bottle of um, Prozac. It's just heartbreaking. This is after Mrs. Green is like, Patricia says, I'm on your side, Patricia said. I just need some time for everything to settle down. You're on your side, Mrs. Green said. Don't ever fool yourself about that. Then she turned her back on Patricia and kept dusting Grace's home. Something exploded red and black inside Patricia's brain, and the next thing she knew, she was storming into her house, standing on the sun porch, seeing Corey slumped in the big chair, staring at the TV. Would you please turn that off and go downtown or to the beach or somewhere? Patricia snapped. It is one o'clock in the afternoon. Dad said I didn't have to listen to you, Corey told her. He said you were going through a phase. It touched off a fire inside her, but Patricia had the clarity to see how carefully Carter had built this trap for her. Anything she did would prove him right. She could hear him saying in his smooth psychiatric tones, it's a sign of how sick you are that you can't see how sick you Uh, are. Ah! Gaslighting. Horrible. Horrible. So horrible. Uh, Mm, (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) I mean, this, like, yeah, it's just really And this book is so, like, Greedy is so good at writing stuff that, like, is so funny and feels so real and also can be so heartbreaking. It's It's so like all the great thing about it is even if his characters are ignorant, they are smart. Everybody is very smart. Mm -hmm. It's just that they're like entrenched in their fucking way of life or their fear of being alone or their fear of this real, very real threat of everything that they know crumbling if they try to fight it. Oh, yep. this book is so good. Yep. So obviously must read. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. There's just like, there's nothing, there's nothing else to say. It's just really, really, really good. Really good. Um, and I sometimes, I'm very conflicted about how much we describe about a book I think people should read. I know. So my hope, and we should, maybe we should stay the, say this up top or I'll put it in the description, although I don't know how much people actually read podcast descriptions um, blurbs um i hope that people will have read this book beforehand yeah what i hope is that people like because i have had you know people have reached out to us and we're like you made the book sound so good we i i paused it i went to read the book and then i wanted to listen after because yeah, like that makes I, yeah because like honestly you need to read this book. Like, I wish that I could read this book for the first time again. You know what I mean? <laughs> same with yeah, same with my best yes. friend's exorcism. It's just like, it really... It changes you, man! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not who I was. Um, it just, it it it's like, it's very inspiring. Like, I want to write something this impactful. Yes. Like that really gets at like it's like fun supernatural that's like scary mm-hmm. that's poignant that's like really good commentary that's smart but and not preachy and not obvious. Well, it's not message first; it's story first. 
yes. character first. It's yeah. yeah. Story and character first. And it's all like tied together. It's not like it and it's not simplistic. It's like complicated. Yeah, and all the characters are so complicated. It's not just this one character being like, guys, you know what we should do? We should really do the right thing. Like it's not yeah. that. It's not pontificating. It's not like, look at all these plucky moms. It's just like it's not it it had it had practical magic vibes without the cheesiness of practical yeah. magic. Yeah. Although I haven't read the book Practical Magic. I don't know if that's different, but I know what you mean. I, I'm just thinking of the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I love the movie I, Practical Magic. That's not really that a dig. Movie. It's just like a different, deeper vibe. It's a different vibe. Different vibe for sure. Um, it's like the end, the end when everybody shows up with their brooms. Yeah. It's that kind of vibe. It's that vibe. Um, no, yeah, it's completely inspiring. It's completely Without being like, you need a mom in the White House. Yes. Like, because that's the thing. It it's doesn't like, ignore the experience of so many people who are not thought of as strong. Yes. It's like, uh, it's just not, it feels real. It like, it values those people without making it like cheesy and easy. It doesn't make things easy. That's the thing. It like really gets at how much work writing is, their <laughs> lives are, and how much work writing is. Well, that too, like certainly that, but I mean, like yeah, the characters' sure. lives, um, yeah. But and it is, it's hard to write something this like, like emotional and scary and I, witty. I feel like this is like relatable characters. This is such, um, you know, writing one hundred and one, and I think we've talked about it on the show, but this book does a really good job of it, which is like. You should love your characters, but you should be cruel to them. Like that <laughs> is total. Like it, it is like you. Your characters should always be doubling down on the thing that makes them worse. You know, before they can grow. Like it can't just be like yeah. Because then everyone you should love your characters, but not go. Yeah, you should. Them. You should. You yes, they can get the divorce in the end, but before that, there has to be a reason why someone would change their mind. Especially for something like this. Yeah. Just really good. He's just really a very good so writer. So good. Um, okay. So read the book. Um, huge thank you to our Patreon <laughs> uh, peeps. We love you all. You are keeping the lights on right now. Y'all, this is like for real. Thank you. You guys have been so generous and and kind and we really appreciate you. And Yeah. We just, we love you. So, yeah, if you want to be a supporter on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash teencreeps. We have more more episodes for you there. And um, I would now uh, like to give a special shout out to our Patreon producers. Uh, thank you to Adrian Ashley Fritz, Courtney Claire McPhail, Danielle Danny, Lamana, Gabriela Santiago, Grace Whoa. Armstrong. Oh, is that why I said Grace? Did I say Grace Armstrong because of Grace Armstrong? Is that not her name? I think Montgomery is her name. Grace Montgomery. Oh my God. <laughs> Did I say our Patreon name or our patron name? God, what is her name it's in the funny. book? That's it's so funny. funny. When you said that, I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would Grace's not name. have. God, what is her name? Hang on. Now I have to know. It might be. It might be. I bet it's not Armstrong. Did I say Armstrong yeah. though? But I believed you. I was like, yes, Grace Armstrong. Looking, looking, looking. 
Also, we didn't even talk about how great the beginning of the book is, but the beginning of the book is so great because it talks about the first book club that oh she tries God. to join. Horrible. <laughs> and the super type A horrible. Oh, where is it? What is your name? <laughs> it's, not, it's not either of those. Wait, what's her name? <laughs> her name is Grace Kavanaugh. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know what? You can't always remember characters' names, and sometimes names float in from other parts of your brain. Wow. Wow. But I believed it. I might have said Grace Montgomery, though. No, you didn't. You said Armstrong. Anyway. I was like, oh, yeah, that's Anyway, familiar, big correct? thank you. <laughs> <laughs> big thank you to Grace Armstrong. <laughs> Jordan Colwick. Karen Lewis, Miller. Kelly Burns. Landry Desmond. Luke Bartek. Mandalay Walsh. Mariana Terzakis. Micah Yunus. Miguel Kamali Marks. Nick Yulinowski. Randy Rogue Kalahua. Sarah, Sarah Daggers. Sarah Sasha Gibson. Shannon Sydney Pickens, Bollinger. Victoria Buckner. Victoria and Wendy Bartos. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Very generous and kind. Generous. Very generous and kind. Generous and kind. Um, if you would like to support us um, and cannot do so monetarily, please uh, rate and review us on whatever podcast app you use. And just keep listening. That's also very supportive. Uh, tell friends about the podcast. Uh, get them on. Get them on this yeah, train. Dog. And uh, next week, we are reading, pulling up the sheet. I don't fucking know what we're reading. We are reading uh, Blind Date. Uh, Blind Date by R.L. Stein. Yep. Um, so we will catch you next week. We hope that you are all safe and healthy and um, doing okay financially. And uh, you know what? Now more than ever in these uncertain times. Yeah. You know? You, know. Yeah. you may not be thinking of us at Burger King during a pandemic, but we're thinking about you. I mean, really nonstop, but it might be an obsession. Yeah. Um, so with that said, keep it creepy. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Kelly Nugent. Lindsay Katai, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.